It's time to talk about Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. And now, here's Ira. At one time, the bright lights of Las Vegas were in neon, but there were also flashes of light 65 miles north of Las Vegas that were geopolitically more important than the Strip. Telling that story is the Atomic Museum in Las Vegas. It's a natural science, history, and educational institution and Smithsonian affiliate that recounts America's nuclear weapons testing program at the Nevada test site. And my guest is Rob McCoy, Chief Executive Officer of the Atomic Museum. For everything about the museum, as well as ticket information, go to atomicmuseum.vegas, and you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And Rob, welcome to the show. Hello, my friend. How are you? Pleasure. I'm delighted that you're on. Can you share with our listeners and viewers a little bit about your background? Because you bring an extensive background to the Atomic Museum, and I'd like them to get a sense of that before we talk about the museum itself, some of its programs and its history. Well, uh, I don't want to bore everybody, but, you know, <laughs> I, I, I'm a local boy. So my family actually has been in Southern Nevada since 1939. Uh, we're part of the furniture. And, uh, <laughs> well, this is uh, good for people around the world to know about this because we have people listening outside of Las Vegas. So I'm glad that you, that you shared that about your family history. There, there were 7,000 people living here in 1939. Amazing. My family one of those 7,000. You know, I spent most of my career, I started in television news, but spent most of my career here in Las Vegas in the corporate world, finishing actually with a company, uh, a national company as vice president of public policy. And at that time, I was serving on the board of the Neon Museum, and they were looking for a chief executive. Uh, I was head of the search committee, and no, I did not choose myself. That's not what happened. I understand, and I believe it. But But it was a great way for me to end my career, what I thought was going to be ending my professional career in Las Vegas. And so uh, it was a five-year run that was absolutely spectacular. We put that museum on the map, not only nationally, but internationally. I retired. As soon as I retired, the phone started ringing. Now, I'm a local boy. I'm a local boy. And when the community starts calling and then they won't stop calling at some point, this boy is going to answer the call. (laughs) That's what happened here at the Atomic Museum. And so this is where I am at currently and uh, having a whole lot of fun. We are repurposing, rebranding, and reimagining of this museum that has been open actually since 2005. So we got lots of stuff going on. Tell us a little bit about that. People that may not have heard about the Atomic Museum before, but give us a sense of what's there, the exhibits, the artifacts, the programming. Well, this started as the National Atomic Testing Museum, and uh, some people know, probably some don't know, that some of the biggest, baddest nuclear bombs in the history of the world were actually detonated about 80 miles north of Las Vegas. And so this museum originally told that story. The curation is, is just wonderful. We talk about all 928 nuclear tests all over the Western United States, some even including the Pacific Ocean, a hundred of those were above ground. And it's just an intriguing, you know, and it's, it, it, this, 
believe it or not, and I, I tell people this all the time, we're the only city in the world that has these three museums, Mob, Neon, and Atomic. <laughs> and to, th- to think that I grew up here experiencing all of that, the mob was running the town, uh, there were bright lights in the entertainment up and down the strip, and at the same time, we were exploding these bombs 80 miles north of Las Vegas. It is a history that no other city, no other region in the world has. It's incumbent upon us to tell that story. Uh, we won the Cold War due largely to the fact that we had the Nevada test site here in Southern Nevada. And it's a proud history. It's a rich history. But it's also a history that we never want to repeat. And so we need to educate. We need to educate in the classroom. We have an active STEM program. So we don't repeat this history. You mentioned the Nevada test site. I I guess we're going to reverse engineer here for a second, Rob. For us to know about the Nevada test site, just a little bit about it. You're not the official spokesperson for the site, but the museum reflects what went on there. So can you give our listeners and viewers a sense of what was and what is the Nevada test site and then how the museum takes it from there? And then we can talk in more detail about the museum itself, which, by the way, do you need a Geiger counter to enter the museum? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, we have a bunch of Geiger counters here. It actually takes up one entire display case. Uh, And we have Geiger counters that are part of employee badges. They're radiation detectors (laughs) that actually employees at the test site wore. So uh, it's fascinating. Nevada test site began in the early 1950s. The United States government, Department of Defense, and the Department of Energy were looking for a, a, a place that only had about one rattlesnake per 100 square miles. And they found it in the Nevada desert. And... So they built it about 80 miles north of here. The little town was called Mercury. It was a government-run town, and it included everything. We had a movie theater. We had a bowling alley. uh, We had a swimming pool. And almost everybody would commute from Las Vegas via buses daily up to work at the Nevada test site. And those were the proving grounds. And that's where we, we detonated significant number of bombs to see how viable they were. Were they bigger and badder than the Soviet Union? Were they dirty? Were they clean? It's a fascinating history. A lot of people get two things confused, Nevada Test Site and Area 51, two separate and distinct entities. I had an opportunity several years ago to tour the Nevada Test Site, and actually we took off in buses from the Atomic Museum. So that's an interesting little tidbit there, but it was fascinating. And you get to, you obviously don't get to see everything. It's still restricted, but you get a sense of the scope of the projects there. Well, it's huge. I mean, it is absolutely huge. And yes, Area 51 is a complete and separate entity. And it's, how would I put this? I guess the massive amount of land that is in the state of Nevada it is, I, I don't think people on the East Coast of the United States or even in smaller countries around the world can really grasp just how vast the Nevada desert is. So it was the perfect place for doing something like this. And I might add, the economic impact to the city of Las Vegas from those jobs at the test site was immense. These were high-paying jobs. And the only other jobs really in town at the time 
were up and down the Strip and in downtown Las Vegas. And then, of course, we had Nellis Air Force Base, which added to the economy as correct, well. Correct, correct. When the museum was first formed, Rob, was the mission the same as it is now, or have you expanded the mission? Yeah, good question, Ira. It was pretty much focused on atomic testing. There was some atomic culture uh, interspersed in exhibits. One of my duties as the new CEO here is to expand the appeal, to include the atomic age and pop culture, everything from music to literature to film. And uh, so we're, we're working on that. And uh, it's kind of fun. In fact, there's a new exhibit, which we just opened, called Spy. And we are doing this in partnership with the National Cryptologic Museum. I didn't even know that museum existed Could you before. say that three times real fast, Rob? It's, it's tough, even for an old TV guy. It's tough. And it's actually a department, of, uh, a, a department of NSA, National Security Administration. And we're doing this in cooperation with them. And we have some of the most unique spy equipment used by not only the United States, but by the Soviet Union during the Cold War. So we could spy on each other specifically when it came to what was going on in the world of atomic bombs. So we've taken that. They've also given us, and this is sort of the star artifact of the spy exhibit, an Enigma machine. Nice. Um, All right. uh, Now I'm coming down immediately. Yes. I love the Enigma machine. Yes. Fascinating topic. I'm delighted that you have one. So I will be down there. It is. And, and so we have, we have wrapped this all in a little bit of atomic culture. So when you step into this exhibit, this is what I was talking about, you will hear music from the 1960s. There's a James Bond theme. <laughs> and it, it's, it's really quite, quite clever. And uh, so we're very proud of this exhibit. And uh, we think it's a great addition to the museum. Before I get pounded by historians, the Enigma machine really came to the fore in World War II. But it did. But still, it's part of the exhibit, which I would recommend people read up about the Enigma machine and how uh, Betchley Park ended up decoding and figuring out how that amazing machine worked. So, Absolutely. That's great. How does an exhibit like this come together, Rob? In other words, do you have people on staff, or is it an outside entity that puts all this stuff together, or is it part of a traveling tour? How, how does that work? Well, Ira, you know me. You've known me for almost 40 years. My brain never shuts off. <laughs> we, were, we were on the phone with a former employee of the museum who just now happens to be running the Cryptologic Museum in Washington, D.C., and I said, let's have a spy exhibit. And uh, that's how that one came about. We're also working on another one, and this will launch in July to sort of coordinate with Christopher Nolan's new blockbuster biopic on Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. And uh, that film launches, I believe, July 21st across the world. And so we are going to have an exhibit that not only talks about that film, but how atomic testing influenced Hollywood, both film and television, in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, and even beyond. Of course, the most famous example of that is Dr. Strangelove. But I got to tell you, there's some wild movies that were made. (laughs) I'll just give you one example. Atomic Kid 
with Mickey Rooney. <laughs> he goes, he goes up to the Nevada test site and he gets radiated. He comes back down to Las Vegas, walks through a casino and all the slot machines start hitting. You can't make this stuff up. As well as glowing. <laughs> yes. But that's what I, I mean by atomic atomic culture and pop culture. Right. The influence, the influence in the second half of the 20th century really is just something to behold. Rob, you know also that my brain only works when I talk with you and then I start to think of things. I think that a great addition to the museum would be an atomic film festival. Absolutely. We're actually talking about that. Excellent. You want to come over? You want to come over and see that for me? Yes, I'd be happy to. <laughs> when you start to put all these together, do you find that a different demographic shows up at the museum as opposed to in previous years or decades? In that, because you're, as you mentioned, you're expanding it, you're including pop art. And actually, I was thinking you could even include such things as food so you can be selling mushrooms there. <laughs> Just a thought. But at any rate, <laughs> but <laughs> I shouldn't laugh at my own joke, but I laughed at the fact that you laughed at it. So that's good. So, but uh, do you think that you're getting a, already a different demographic or an additional demographic, <clears throat> I really should say, because you have an opportunity to go one time to the museum or become a member? And I'll ask you yeah. to explain that as well. But are you starting, I'll, third time around, I'm going to ask the same question, which is are you starting to see an additional demographic based on all these changes? Yes, there is a younger demographic, and they are attracted to all things pop culture. It's very retro for them. I saw this at the Neon Museum when I was running it. It's very similar. You know, the primary demographic is still 35 to 64, but we are attracting younger people. And as I said, I think in my previous remarks to you, we've instituted STEM here, a STEM education, which is science, technology, engineering, and math. We have what we call STEM Saturdays where we're bringing school children in from the Clark County School District, along with their parents, to learn about practical applications of nuclear science in everyday life. And it's fun to see this happening. Absolutely. Do you find, too, that we talked about the earlier demographics, breaking that down a little bit further, do you see more and more people coming to the museum that are visitors to Las Vegas as opposed to locals? Yes. So this, this I can tell you, we're 90% we're visitors. That's impressive. Uh, I wasn't aware of that. It, it's, it's almost identical to the Neon Museum and the Mob Museum. Uh, it's not that lo locals don't love our history, but, you know, they live here. It's always here. They can come and see it anytime. Right. Folks who come to Las Vegas in today's world, and you know this better than anybody, they want to get outside the casino and they want to see things that speak to them, whether it be Red Rock Canyon, Valley of Fire, Mount uh, Charleston, Dam, Mount Charleston or the museums and the cultural world. Right. Um, and so, yeah, we're 90% visitors. And our ratings on Yelp are very, very high. People love this museum. I think also you, you are there at the right moment because more and more we are developing what is called cultural tourism, which is a definitely strong component of the overall tourism picture. And, and you're right, people will come here not just to go and stay in a hotel, play in a casino, have a meal at a restaurant. There's so much more in Las Vegas. It just gives them an opportunity to explore these touchstones that in the past were very underrated or very below the radar. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, 
cultural tourism uh, in the United States is a multi-billion dollar industry. Uh, so it's, it's, it's nothing to sneeze at. I think that you're never going to retire, Rob. You're just going to go from museum to museum. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so, Ira. I think uh, <clears throat> we're going to repurpose and reimagine this museum. It's going to be fun. And uh, we're probably going to double the actual physical size of this museum here in the next couple of years. And we're also going to give this, you know, museums used to be pretty staid, pretty permanent, pretty in place. What we're going to do is actually have more like edutainment. And it's going to be hands-on, it's going to be immersive, and it's, uh, it's going to be fun for all ages, from, from a school child all the way up until the oldest adult. And uh, we have to do that to compete, and we certainly have to do that uh, to compete in, uh, in Las Vegas. You know, with 40 million tourists here on an annual basis, there are lots and lots of things to do and lots of entertainment choices. And we have to compete with that. You were saying, and I was thinking while you were saying it, that it can't be just a staid set piece. And it's very similar to what libraries have become over the last 10 or 20 years, where before they were just books. And now they're not just books, they're obviously multimedia, and not, not only multimedia, but live programming. And so that I can see that happening at the Atomic Museum as well. You have a lot of distinguished guests that come in and talk about different topics. How do you set those up and who are, if you can tell us some of the guests that are coming up and maybe some that have been there so that people get a flavor of the kind of expertise that's there? I'll tell you, our last guest got a lot of incredible feedback. He was a doctor talking about how close the Nazis were to actually beating us in the nuclear arms race. And uh, I heard from multiple people who watched online and also those in person who said, wow, can we have more speakers like that? So we have a distinguished lecture series. We have about six of them a year. And I knew you were going to ask me this question. And can I bring any of them to mind that are coming of up? Of course no, not. <laughs> uh, but but they're, they're great. You know, we had one last year. It, it, was, it was a woman from Japan who as a child survived Hiroshima. And so we, we tell not only the positives of the nuclear industry, we take the other side as well. And as you know, it can be solemn and uh, not so good sometimes, but we believe we have to tell the whole story. Right. That's the purpose of a museum. You're not a PR company there. They're, right. They're, they're, that's obviously the case. Something else you just said that didn't exist at the museum that I can remember in years past and that is, you said that people watched that lecture online. And I remember, go, I remember going to a lecture there, and you saw the lecture, and it might have been videotaped or audiotaped, but I don't recall it ever being online. And now this is part of the museum. It, it absolutely is. Um, you know, that's where we're at in the 21st century. And if folks are interested in checking out the schedule, Ira, I might add, they can go to atomicmuseum.vegas. And there's a, a button on there, and it'll tell them exactly the upcoming schedule for our distinguished speakers. Now, you could have kept it at atomicmuseum.com, but there was a thinking behind that atomicmuseum.vegas. What was that? Well, I, I wanted something Vegas. So when we rebranded to Atomic Museum, we actually have one logo that has Vegas right in it. 
And so I thought, well, you know, we need a new domain name. And they came to me with the choice of atomicmuseum.vegas, being the Vegas boy. It was a no-brainer for me. <laughs> and, and, and once again, it's real easy to remember. The former domain was National Atomic Testing Museum dash nv.org <laughs> that didn't work for me <laughs> you know what that didn't work for most people <laughs> no that 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 part makes a lot of sense are you going to be i assume having in the gift shop mugs and other things with the atomic museum.vegas logo and wording yeah we already do okay. we already yeah. do uh, we'll also have paying homage to our newest exhibit spy we will also have spy branded material as well. And then, you know, you mentioned STEM. I just, we're, we're working on right now the most significant exhibit since the museum opened back in 2005. For lack of a better term, I've given it the working title of the Atom Experience. This is going to be a $1.2 million exhibit, uh, thanks uh, to a very generous grant from the United States with a lot of help from Congresswoman Dina Titus. And we're going to look at fusion, fission, and radiation. And this exhibit will be the first one that will be totally hands-on. Now, nobody panic. You're not going to be <laughs> grabbing radiation. Uh, but to get the learning concepts across, we have to make it inter interactive. And it actually will be STEM certified. That's great. Now, I like that. I'm going to put you on the spot to ask you the most interesting artifact or display currently at the Atomic Museum. Oh, boy. If I can. If I, if I can kind of have you narrow it down. Something that I, maybe, let me rephrase this, Your Honor. I would say the question I'm going to rephrase, which is the most interesting artifact or exhibit that's currently at the museum that would appeal to visitors and or appeal to Rob McCoy? Oh, man, that's like, you know, I used to get that question in Neon, and I always said that was like asking me who my favorite grandchild is. <laughs> but we have a, an exhibit about first responders, and this is non-test site. This is non-Nevada test site. We actually have a portion of an H-beam from the World Trade Center in New York. I believe it is the only piece of an H-beam from World Trade One outside of New York City. And it's kind of a big deal. And uh, to be there and to see that and think what went on with first responders and also the average person in New York City back in uh, 2001 is, is pretty sobering. But it, it's, it, once again, it, it encapsulates atomic culture. And the world we live in, and so I'm I'm just going to throw that one out there. Not it's non-atomic testing related, but you know what? It's a pretty important artifact. Absolutely. But now I'm going to narrow you down to the most important or interesting artifact that is atomic related. <laughs> See, I'm not letting you get out of the question. <laughs> well, I would say I would say it's probably our newest exhibit, uh, which we haven't talked about. It, not our newest. It was open just before Spy did. And it's called The Bomb Without the Boom. And it talks about our nuclear stockpile. So people wonder all the time, Ira, so what's the United States doing with its stockpile? 
what is it just sitting there you know have they been trashed are they stored and we go through the process and it's very scientific it's very interesting scientists have figured out a way to test our nuclear stockpile without exploding them to make sure they're viable god forbid we should ever have to use them and so we tell that story and it is fascinating it's also now that i think of it Yucca Mountain has not been in the news in the last five years or so, or five to 10 years. And that's the issue of storage. And that might be something scientists are able to figure out without having to move these weapons or this yes. fuel you know, to, a, to a new location. So that's right. definitely, yeah, I, I can see that. When you first stepped into the job, as you said, you were all set to retire and you got the call or you got many calls. Did you think of it as something that you wanted to do or that you were doing it for the community or is it both? Yeah, it, it, it's community. I mean, you know me, uh, it's all about community. Make, leaving, leaving, leaving Las Vegas a better place than the way we found it. And I've still got, you know, a few good years, so I don't plan on leaving uh, this earth. But, you know, with such a deep, rich history, a personal history here in Las Vegas, I want to make sure my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, are educated and have the culture that I didn't have growing up here. We didn't have museums. We just didn't. We didn't have a performing arts center. We didn't. My grandchildren have all of that. And to see that, you know, mature over the years has been really fun to watch. And so I think first and foremost is community. And I'm always also up for a good challenge. And this is a good challenge. Definitely. A personal question, what's the reaction to your family when every time you look like you're about to retire or you have <laughs> retired, you're, you're dragged back into the battlefield? Uh, are they, do they understand what, why you're doing it, as you just explained, or do they just say, oh, dad or grandpa's just not spending enough time with us because he's busy doing this? <laughs> not that, I don't want to make you feel guilty. I'm just curious what the reaction of the family is. Well, I think both of my children said, we knew you could stay retired. <laughs> the grandchildren say, ooh, that's really cool. I would think so, yes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, to, I mentioned the three museums before. Right. Uh, Mob, Atomic, Neon. I am incredibly humbled that now I've been able to lead two of those three museums this came very late in my career. I had no career path that said Rob was going into the museum world. <laughs> but I got I to gotta tell you, it is so much fun. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been <laughs> Rob McCoy, Chief Executive Officer of the Atomic Museum. For everything about the museum, as well as ticket information, go to atomicmuseum.vegas, and you can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. And Rob, thanks for being on the show. Ira, always a pleasure. We'll catch up soon, okay? Absolutely. See you next time. You've been listening to Talk About Las Vegas with Ira. Each week, Ira David Sternberg talks with the celebrities, entertainers, writers, and personalities who make Las Vegas the most exciting city in the world. Happy.